0: Content warning for racism. Action, excitement, horror, romance, romance. thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying canopy of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these?
1: fathers of modern science fiction. Beloved the world over for his, pardon my French, Voyage Extraordinaire adventure novels, including The Journey to the Center of the Earth, From the Earth to the Moon, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and Around the World in 80 Days. But we're not talking about him. Instead, we're going to talk about a silly little parody of his work. Albert Robita's The Very Extraordinary Voyages of Saturn and in the world's five or six continents, and in the countries known and even unknown to Monsieur Jules Verne, from 1879, often shortened, for obvious reasons, to The Adventures of Saturn and In this epic novel, our hero, named Fortuné Grécieux Saturn and or Saturn and for short, is stranded as a baby on a Pacific island inhabited only by monkeys, who decide to take him in and raise him as their own. This is decades before Tarzan, by the way. Saturn eventually finds his way to civilization and has thrilling adventures on every continent on Earth as well as a few places beyond. He fights pirates, conquers Australia with an army of monkeys, becomes a general in a South American Civil War, travels to Saturn on the back of a comet, returns the King of Siam's stolen white elephant, and travels to the North Pole by airship only to return by sailing on a shoal of herring. In his travels he meets up with several of Jules Verne's protagonists, Captain Nemo from Twenty Thousand Leagues, Phileas Fogg from Around the World in Eighty Days, Hector Servadac from uh, Off on a Comet, Michael Strogoff or Mikhail Strogoff from uh, The Courier of the Tsar, and John Hatteras from The Adventures of Captain Hatteras. The book is a rollicking and hilarious adventure. That dated elements like racism aside, sometimes feels more like a modern steampunk pastiche along the lines of the Walt Newton universe or the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and a genuine cultural artifact from the era. Welcome to What Mad Universe. I'm Philip Rice, and with me is Adam Prosser. Hello. Now, why are we doing this? Because you definitely haven't heard of this book. Um, I came across it uh, some years ago. Uh, I was looking for books set on Saturn, because I was doing a sort of filling out what different planets of the universe look like. Or the solar system look like in my own fiction and art, uh, and I came across this book and I read the description and I just couldn't believe it was real. I mean, he conquers Australia with an army of monkeys. Um, that that's that's a bizarre thing to put in a book, and it's a, especially bizarre for something that came out in 1879. Yeah. Um. So I instantly got it and I read it and I've I've been sort of obsessed with it. Uh, you know, it's not. It's not high literature, but it's really weird. <laughs> uh, well, it is and a, I, I mean, it's a parody, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a parody, um, and it. I think it does most of what it sets out to do mm-hmm. in terms of what you know the themes and stuff. Well, to get into that, yeah. But um, uh, so I sort of have a joke, you know, an in joke with myself, and um, you know, I'll post on Twitter, you know, uh, acting like this is a really well-known novel that has a big fan base, and that by posting about it, I'm I'm yes. um uh yeah, just uh Given the pandering, like. yeah, pandering yeah pandering to <laughs> pandering to a huge fan base, and that you know where's the mo- where's yeah. the movie series, and yeah. where's you know why doesn't the Macy's Day parade have a um uh Saturn and ferndo <laughs> balloon
0: are they gonna remake Saturn and Ferenal again <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly, yes, which
1: is your favorite Saturn and ferendel uh what you know chris whatever or yeah, yeah. Chris Henry Cabell or, or yes. Uh, was
0: it, what, it back when Kirk Douglas played him? In the yeah. <laughs> yes. There is
1: actually a movie, but we'll get into that. I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you're the first person that I've actually gotten to read this thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did you think I of to, it? Have to, Phil. It's my job. Yeah.
0: Um, no, it's it's really. I mean, it's certainly uh, it, it it draws you in for sure. It's mm-hmm. not like a lot of ponderous nineteenth century books. It is long, like a lot yeah. of nineteenth century books. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely like uh, it's the pulp thing where you know it's always one thing after another and yeah, all the crazy adventures. Yeah, it's very adventures. episodic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, by de- by design, right? It's, yeah. it's literally based around. Um, there's you know, e- there's five segments each based around Saturn and visiting one of the. F- five, counting the Americas as one, uh, inhabited continents. Yeah. Um, so it's like it starts in Oceania and then goes, you know, and then he goes to mm. the North Amer- the the Americas and then Africa, then Asia, and finally Europe. Yeah. Um, so it's, and it's, and every segment has 10 chapters. So he was obviously working on the structure pretty uh, carefully. Yeah, it
1: was serialized. So it wasn't all mm-hmm. put out, you know, it wasn't all written out beforehand. So mm-hmm. there are some, it sort of changes as it goes along. It's, I felt... And I think the uh, the translator in the um Brian Stableford in the uh introduction felt as well. Uh it's a little mean spirited at first. Right uh, in some ways. Like his first love interest just dies and his yeah. the villains often get killed brutally by usually by fate, but sometimes by Saturn yeah. uh, and himself. It, and it seems to taper off after a particularly violent episode in part two.
0: Right. Well, even in Africa, though, there's uh, Maclewnor, the the Scottish guy, who's kind of a fool, and he doesn't die horribly, but he's uh,
1: yeah. He's- but I mean, he doesn't even take revenge on the final villain, Captain Hatteras, right? Um, and that's that's another thing. A lot of these uh, Jules Verne characters are treated as villains,
0: yeah except Captain Nemo who was kind of a villain and yeah. he becomes pretty purely heroic in this one. Yeah, yeah. So which may have been part of the joke or whatever, but uh yeah, every section features one of uh Jules Verne's characters as well as he goes around. I was surprised how short the Captain Nemo was given he, he's probably the most well-known character.
1: Oh uh, uh, well, it was at the time, you mm-hmm. know, Jules Verne was still very yeah. like All of his books were very well read, as opposed to just a few of them now. Yeah, yeah. And I should mention, I'm not a big, I'm not really into Jules Verne very much. Mm -hmm. He never really spoke to me much. Uh, Like, I read some children's versions of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and like, I've read some of his stuff, but uh, I'm more of an H.G. Wells fan, I guess. It's more fantastical. Right. I find Jules Verne is sort of hard sci-fi for the time, and that it doesn't age as well.
0: No, exactly. Well, yes, yeah, Jules Verne famously, uh, you know, he he fought with H. G. Wells over that exact yeah. thing, and he, if I recall correctly, it was um, uh, H. G. Wells uh, had to create the Cavorite yeah. for, uh, for for the well, what's Jules. It called?
1: uh for going to the moon.
0: Yeah. And uh if I recall correctly Jules Verne heard about that and he said, "What? Where is this cavorite? Show me this cavorite. <laughs> yeah. because it didn't exist so it shouldn't be in science fiction, you know." Yeah,
1: but so he had but he had them shooting to the moon by right. shooting out of a giant cannon. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. like, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I think th- I think the logic there is at least he knew that these gravitational like theoretically it is possible to fire someone to the moon it would in kill a them, cannon. Though. No. <laughs> It's true, obviously, but his point is that, you know, uh, it, Kavarite being one of the early examples of, uh, phlogiston or, uh, or, yeah. uh, unobtainium, if you like, uh, which they had to create to make the story make sense, as opposed to, you know, I used only real physics, which didn't, I, as you say, it would kill them, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> you know, um, it's at least, you know, that was something apparently Jules Fern felt very strongly about, because again, it was quote, hard sci-fi, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, which continues to this day. And then into the 40s and 50s, there were people who were like, oh, sci fi has to be nuts and bolts, real sci fi. And I think
1: that stuff doesn't age well. No, it doesn't at all. Um, it, it's immediately found out to be fraudulent. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, stuff that takes place in the year 3000 that has, you know, anti gravity and, right. you know, like, you can't disprove that because it's nonsense in the first place. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and uh, although, I mean, Jules Verne's work
0: it does have a certain charm to oh it, yeah yeah um, i mean uh, and
1: a lot of the characters like captain nemo is a great character right um and i'm just saying um I'm, I'm not as into him as you'd think i would be considering most of the stuff i read right right yeah no I, actually it's
0: interesting now i think about it if i recall jules verne had a secret method of uh of uh, energy production, which um, in the movie, in the '50s movie that Disney made, they actually implied it was atomic power. That oh, okay. They discovered atomic power in the 19th century, uh, but in the book, it's just I have a secret method of propulsion that I won't tell to anyone because it's my it's my uh, proprietary secret. Uh, so yeah, that sense, makes
1: sense for Captain Nemo as a character, but at right. the same time, it's a little hypocritical of Jules. Verne. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's what I'm saying. He c- he completely did the same thing. He yeah. was he was yelling at H.G. Uh, Wells about. But, uh, but anyway, so this Robita guy, uh, must have been, um, he, I mean, it's clearly he set out to make fun of Jules Verne, i.e. But he know. also liked him. Yeah, yeah. No. Like, he
1: obviously had affection for his, Jules Verne's work. Yeah. Um. Well, he so, kinda, he,
0: he kinda dumps on his heroes, though, like. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um,
1: he, and the, the narrator often says that, uh, um, cause in this, in this universe, Jules Verne was a person who wrote about real people. Right. So in this, they, they, he. Jules Verne just believed these people's stories firsthand, and they were actually jerks in real life, but Jules Verne just wrote down what they said firsthand, so.
0: Well, when we we wrote, when we talked about Vampire City, uh, we mentioned how, uh, because that's also basically commenting on a famous author of the time, who's, in that case, somewhat forgotten, Anne Radcliffe, and the story was in some ways, parodying her style. Yeah. Uh, like they talk, she'd give, they'd give her dialogue that was kind of overblown and it's a, a reference to her own writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that feels like he's doing, this whole thing is him doing that with Jules Verne, essentially. There's a lot of, there's a certain, there's a few points where it feels a bit sarcastic. Oh yeah, it's very <laughs> About sarcastic. Jules Verne. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, it, that's notable worth, like Phileas Fogg, especially, is yeah. just made out to be an awful person in yeah. this version. I don't know what he, I've actually never read the original novel, but. I've uh, seen the movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I got the impression he was more heroic in the novel. Yeah. He wasn't intended to be... Well, jerk. there's
1: also a gag with uh, Phileas Fogg has... Uh because apparently in the novel he rescues a woman, right? So in this he has uh, a retinue of uh, mm-hmm. three hundred and seventy-two women that he's rescued, right? Because they flock to him right. trying to be rescued, and then later
0: he basically suggests that yeah he was going to sell them at the later <laughs> at the next. Like it's pretty, it's pretty, yeah, yeah. I also like the joke uh, in the uh, Phileas Fogg past part two. His uh, men servant i guess yeah um and he says uh oh i know we were going to come back okay because i left the gas on when yeah. i left
1: <laughs> oh so he no because that was in the original book apparently. it was in the original yeah. book okay. so this time he left uh he just left the stove on before but this time he left all the stoves in his house on and right um he so he had to escape to not have to pay the gas bill right exactly in this story so yes. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> so that was in the original jules verne that he left i the believe gas so on. yeah okay Right. Might have well, it might that not actually, have been. But. That actually seems a little whimsical for Jules Verne. That's what I'm saying. He's a, he wasn't a very whimsical writer. Okay, so. I might I might be wrong, but yeah, I
1: okay. Yeah, anyway, that's that's just interesting. That right. seemed, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so it takes a lot of Verne's concepts and just makes them ridiculous. Like right. the 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 comet that like that's a ridiculous concept in the first place that a comet comes to earth and sucks some people up and right but in this case it hurtles towards saturn right in no time flat mm-hmm. and they wind up on saturn but that we're getting breathing, ahead of breathing in outer space yeah no less. yeah so um so to the tarzan element there's right. no evidence that edgar rice burroughs had ever heard of this book hmm. um and uh he didn't speak french i don't think and this wasn't translated until recently oh like in like the last 20 years, you know, 15 years or so. Right. So it it's only been in French for the longest time, so... Hmm. Um, or I guess it would have been in Italian as well, because right. it was an Italian movie, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, that's 1913. So, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So Robita was known in his time, like he wasn't as obscure as he is now, mm-hmm. um, but mo- this was his first novel, uh, for Randall, and it obviously... Um, it's very imaginative and stuff. Uh, So it's obvious. It reads sort of like a first novel. You know, it's all your ideas. (laughs) Well, and Uh, and also kind of cashing in on Jules Verne, let's face it. It was parody, but...
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know. Uh, But... um, Sorry, I just want to go back to the mo- the monkeys and the Tarzan element for a second. Yeah, because don't forget the, the big influence on Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan was probably uh, Rudyard Kipling, mostly yeah. in the Jungle Book. So then there's the question of did Rudyard Kipling <laughs> know about this story? Because if you remember, he has kind of uh, monkeys uh, forming a civilization that's kind of a twisted oh, yeah, parody of humanity in his think, version uh, as well.
1: The the forward to uh, by the translator to this book mm-hmm. um, does mention there was a previous. Uh, Book about a man who infiltrates a society of monkeys right. and becomes their leader by dressing up as a gorilla. Yeah. So okay. that might have been the inspiration for this one.
0: Yeah, I, I think that was I think there were real stories, whether they were true or not, of a child like Mowgli is literally of the child raised by wolves, which yeah. has been an archetype for a while. Yeah. And I think the idea of, oh, what if a man was, you know, in a monkey society? I think that was sort of the thing that had been Pandered around patted around as a mm-hmm. cli- as a cliche if not an actual story element.
1: Yeah, there's uh there's a story, uh I haven't read it yet, but uh it's about a um uh an ape who uh learns to talk like mm-hmm. an actual ape, but he's he's introduced to society, learns to talk, and actually becomes prime minister of England. <laughs> um I really want to read that for that yeah, element. But yeah. uh yeah. Um, But anyway, sorry, yes, yours. Yeah, so uh, Robita was known in his time, but it was mostly for uh, his 20th century series. Um, He wrote, um, starting with a novel just called The 20th Century, it's about as long as this one It's and it's filled with illustrations as this one is by Robita, who was a caricaturist, and uh, they're very whimsical and Mm -hmm. fun illustrations. But uh, the 20th century is uh, set in the far-off future of 1952, <laughs> written in 1882. Um, and uh, it predicts technological changes and social changes and things, often correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it predicts the uh, the suffra- women's suffrage, um, women in the workplace, uh, though it's a lot more um, uh, established than the actual 1950s were because uh, it's like you know, it just expected that women work right. in this story. So, um, and the main character is uh, Helene, who's um, sort of old-fashioned. She's just kind of not good at anything, and she can't find her place in the world because she's she's sort of um, a throwback, I guess. Okay. Um, and she's the the story is about her trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life, and then it goes off the rails at the end when they build a sixth continent in the. Uh, in polynesia so okay uh, or in the the a sixth continent? yeah okay yeah so it's called Hellania. um fair enough but uh, that's
0: and that's in the first book or that's a yeah that's
1: the first book yeah, okay. and uh he wrote one uh, called war in the 20th century which w- sort of predicted world war one in a lot of elements hmm. um as saturn and Ferrandal also has a section where they go to highly mechanized war, but it's very comical. Right. And this they is the same. They use chloroform bombs yeah. in, in uh, This in is the Indome. same. I mean, they, these are all comedies. Right. Robito was very whimsical in his stories, but mm-hmm. they have a s- sharp satirical edge in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, he was apparently a f- pacifist. Mm. So all the war stuff was him sort of satirizing war and saying right. how horrible this all is and mm. sort of making it over the top for intentionally to sort of point out how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And he apparently got typecast and that sort of thing, and he was invited to uh to illustrate books that were sort of similar future war stuff, but mm. you know, like glorifying it. Oh. And he didn't he didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Um That's that's kinda interesting. The
0: the as with Gulliver's travels, I feel like um the first section may be the one that kind of resonates the most with people of mm-hmm. this book, and that's the one where First, he's raised by monkeys on a tropical island, although yep. he's, he's kind of blurry on the distinction between monkeys and apes. Yeah, uh, the
1: translator uses monkeys, but they're called apes in the original French, but they have tails. Right, so.
0: and he says they're so, p- halfway between, what, orangutans and chimpanzees yeah. or something, uh, but then they clearly have tails as well. So, um, But anyway, he, he's raised by monkeys. He leaves. Uh, He sails off uh, to become a mariner uh, because he doesn't fit into monkey society. Um, Then he meets a girl he falls in love with. She gets eaten by a whale, which then goes to Australia and ends up in in an aquarium. And the director of the aquarium sees her emerge and falls in love with her and refuses to let her go. So uh, Saturnin invades Australia with an army of monkeys. Yep. <laughs> this is all in the first segment of the yep. book, not even the entire book. Um, and you
1: skipped over the pirates and Captain Nemo. So. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah,
0: there's pirates. There's ca- yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. That's right. There's a whole encounter with pirates. Um, but the big thing is that he literally invades Australia successfully. Again, it's just to get his woman back. But when he invades Australia, he starts saying, I'm going to set up the ideal society with, as he calls them, bi-manes, which are human humans with two hands and quadramanes which are monkeys with four hands Mm -hmm. uh, in which they can all live peacefully and stuff like that it's hard not to see that as kind of a well, le- 19th century leftist, possibly socialist dream of, uh, if you say he was a pacifist, I'm kind of thinking that might've been what his politics were like. Okay. Uh, because it's sort of, oh yeah, we're like, we're going to build a utopian society anyway. And then it um, falls
1: apart because England sends in uh, right. beer and prostitutes. Right. For the exactly. monkeys. Yes. Which is very <laughs> yeah, weird. Again, this is all, but you know, and that's, that's almost just like a tweak
0: on exactly the kind of thing. anti-imperialists have been saying for years of like, yeah, that's what happens. You try to set up a good society and the imperialists come in and and destroy it Mm -hmm. from within. Whether he's mocking that idea or going along with it in a silly way is somewhat debatable. But that, but it is literally like he's the king of Australia by the end of the first segment. Yeah. And then he's deposed and then he, he loses it. Yeah. <laughs> and has to go on. And then he decides he's going to become a capitalist. Basically. Like he explicitly says, well, now I'm going to become a capitalist and start a big business and be successful. Which, and
1: uh, they become Mormons.
0: Yeah. They become...
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, carried over into the 20th century book where England is converted to Mormonism.
0: they be- yeah, go yeah, on.
1: because uh, America's uh, been largely taken over by the Chinese and the Germans, <laughs> uh, different parts of America. So the so people of Utah sort of fled to England, mm-hmm. um, and England is now Mormon capital and. Um, Robita seemed to find Mormons hilarious, because I'm sure this came up in other novels that <laughs> yeah. I haven't read yet, but uh, huh. just the whole polygamy thing. And it's
0: interesting, because um, famously the first Sherlock Holmes yeah. stories is about Mormons and how, I believe it's anti-Mormon, it yep. portrays them as diabolical, and this book also is pretty down on Mormons, at least.
1: Well, it's- early on they were, you know... It- was very cultish. Yeah. Well, I, I mean I'm sh- I mean, there's perfectly nice Mormons and all that, but yes. you know.
0: Well, that I mean, no, but I mean it was clearly being written by regardless of your feelings on Mormons, yeah. there seems to have been some 19th century novels oh, yeah, that definitely. were definitely writing about ooh these the Mormon menace almost even though it was, you know, on the other in another continent that they were never going to yeah. deal with. Uh, it seemed to be in the water or something in in the 19th century where everyone wanted to write about these weirdo Mormons who were who were going to marry all our women or something? I don't know why they were afraid of, but it was well, a thing.
1: Well, in, yeah. in the 20th century, if you're caught traveling around in England uh, without a wife, you get arrested and you have to marry somebody. <laughs> uh,
0: we have the store wife for you. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so, um, yeah, so it, they, they become Mormons and then they're chased out by a jealous Mormon uh, who is apparently a real person.
0: Yeah, Brigham Young. Yeah. he's, he's a, a, Yeah. He was like the head of the Mormon church... Okay. For a crucial period in their yeah. history, but I don't know. So
1: Brigham is Young, is who's a character in this story, uh, mm-hmm. betrays them. Yeah. And um, he uh, he escapes um, capture and he gets taken in by Apaches, mm-hmm. um, Native Americans, uh, who are going to kill him. But then they discover that he's really good at body painting. Right. So they, they take him in. <laughs> And he becomes high up and falls in love with the chief's, uh, love interest. You know, like there's, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: It, it, yeah. It, don't keep going or you're going to describe the entire the whole plot. It's going to get, um, it goes crazier and crazier. But,
1: uh, yeah.
0: So they, um, he tends, there's a, there's a recurring, uh, thread in the plot where he falls in with, you know, uh, a race, uh, and you know, that he's not that, like that he's an outsider to, mm-hmm. uh. You know, it's always kind of a racist depiction of whatever. Yeah, it's and then
1: v- it's very unfortunate, especially the Africa section It yeah, gets really, really. To say. Uh, well, uh, other stories that he wrote, uh, he wrote one of his le- later ones, "A Student of 1950," which is sort of a parody of English schoolboy novels. Uh-huh. One of the main characters is Afri- actually an African um, hmm. boy named uh, Alfred Kufra, I think, uh, and he's the son of a congolese or from the congo uh notary okay and it says africa has been heavily industrialized it's not as advanced as france Mm -hmm. so he's sort of like the one of the viewpoint characters okay so he just he's like a normal kid from art you know so he's kind
0: of observing our culture from another culture is that kind of the idea well the idea
1: is that africa by that time is like I think the idea was like was like France was in the right when was writing it, right, so that makes him a
0: viewpoint character for a nineteenth century, yeah,
1: okay, so it, he doesn't treat them as savages there, like he's never seen right. a rhinoceros or anything, sure. so um so either he became less racist over time, which is certainly possible because because mm-hmm. he was like seventy by the time he yeah. wrote that, so yeah. um I mean, by by the standards of a
0: 19th century novel, it I mean, this is a racist novel, but by the standards of the 19th century, it's actually pretty tame in terms of racism. Yeah, it's in some not ways.
1: Lovecraft where he clearly just hates black people. It's right. more like he's just hes, he's banking he, on stereotypes right. that uh, are really unfortunate, and yeah. it, it, I'm not saying they're okay in any way, but. Uh, it's still like there's levels of it.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's almost like he's just using all the popular cliches. Yeah, he, like I'm sure never been to and, the, these yeah. places. Yeah, exactly. The idea of what it's going to be like, and you know, of course, you know, but it, but it's also just I want to have a crazy travelogue of like all, everyone's crazy ideas of these different countries, basically. Yeah, and it, it tends, as I was just saying, it was. Every story tends to be, Saturnin falls into this other culture, uh, he gets often revered for a while, then he, something happens that makes them want to kill him or throw him in jail or mm-hmm. something, yep. and he has to escape, uh, sometimes he has to go on a quest to clear his good name or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, but it it's it kind of does repeat the same plot about three or four times throughout yeah, the book. but the, in Native different Native ways, Americans. I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so, uh, in the North American section, he meets up with Phileas Fogg, mm-hmm. um, who's traveling with Three hundred and something women, right? And because uh, he keeps saving women, they found really. a they they found a town. They chase out some beavers from a beaver built village. <laughs> it's called the and they call it Beaver Town. Mm-hmm. It's an actual city built by beavers, right? <laughs> um, beaver Town, by the way, is very similar to Beaverton, which is a Canadian sort of version of the Onion. I found that a bit amusing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so he gets in a fight with Phileas Fogg. And uh, they uh, decide to go to war mm-hmm. uh, with each other, but or a duel with each other. But because they're gentlemen, they have to duel on a grand scale. <laughs> so they both draw lots and pick a side in a Nicaraguan civil war, right. which never actually happened, apparently. Right. But um, and they pick random sides, you know, based on drawing lots, like I said. And they become generals on both sides, and mechanized you know they say to the last drop of Nicaraguan blood right. and it's very over the top you know like yeah. these are horrible people at this uh-huh. point
0: well apparently that's the idea there was uh, a lot of the South American stuff was him commenting on America but just tr- places yeah like, yeah it's, that's, it's, that's true too. it's basically the Civil War but yeah. he said it in Nicaragua for some reason yeah it's almost uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. <laughs> Let's yeah. go someplace like that.
1: Um so uh and th- this section is very similar to a lot of the twentieth century stuff with outlandish inventions used for warfare. Mm-hmm. Like the giant vacuum cleaners right. to suck up soldiers. Right. And uh chloroform bombs, like you said, underwater battles where they're riding um uh, they're riding on top of so- swordfishes Right. And um swordfish and uh aerial battles in balloons, very very steampunk. Right. Um
0: yeah, the balloon, the balloon battles come in for a while.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and Phileas Fogg gets killed brutally. <laughs> uh, so that's that's kind of weird, <laughs> killing off another author's character. By the way, these are like jules verne was alive right yeah it's, um, it's a, at
0: the same time as jules yeah
1: verne, like uh, a little bit after probably jules verne's height but jules verne was still alive still writing mm-hmm. and uh he d- apparently didn't mind he apparently found it amusing so yeah, okay. uh but this was without permission like written like it would be like yeah it's like professionally published fan fiction with the original names yeah. the characters it's weird
0: it's definitely fanfic for sure yeah uh, th- at, at which has been going on forever, but it's funny that Jules Verne thought it was funny and didn't care because we were talking about how um, that other guy in 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 who wrote uh, Vampire City was angry that people kept yeah. uh, ripping off his stuff. Well, and... this was
1: another French
0: person, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of funny, but
1: I mean the. One
0: of the things about the novel is just and then so that's the there's the North American section then there's the uh, Africa section which you know we can skip over it's kind of well, some uh, of it well hey, no uh, uh, don't yeah. worry i'm getting there <laughs> wait we there's the section that you know what is what you'd expect from Africa which is you know kind of racist and everything but then they then suddenly he ends up in outer space yep at the end and uh, that's as you say he get they all get sucked up by a comet uh, into outer space yep um breathing around in outer space it doesn't seem to cause them problems well it's
1: from the verne novel and that's hard sci-fi so yeah.
0: <laughs> so d- they didn't realize there was no air in o- outer space i think the
1: the idea was there was an atmosphere around the comet or something i don't know They hmm. didn't know that that wouldn't hold but whatever so, so then they go to saturn actual
0: saturn yeah saturn in is on saturn i don't know if that's actually supposed to be a joke that he goes to saturn i'm not sure and his name is saturn but they yeah. never call attention to it so the
1: this and uh, the illustrations for the uh, Saturnians, or whatever you want to call them, um, are cool sort of creature designs, I think. They're, they're very Victorian in some ways, but they have, like, elephant trunks and wings and right. flippers.
0: Yeah, they have long noses with—they have long trunk noses, and then they have kind of fans on the end of the noses. Yeah. And,
1: uh, yeah, they have, like— And uh, the, there's a, there's males, and then there's seven varieties of female. Right. So, which come in seven different
0: colors. Yeah. Which he never really says what color the males are, but the, yeah, the females are like, there's the blue ones and the purple ones and the yellow ones and the white ones and the green ones.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know what the commentary there is. It but was it's... very weird
0: and abrupt. <laughs> they go there for like two chapters and then they're back on earth again all yeah. of a sudden.
1: But I mean, I don't know what that specific idea, like what if that was trying to parody anything or just be weird. But Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's almost disappointing because I feel like after that, the novel kind of loses steam. And- yeah,
1: yeah. Um, the the um, once again, the forward says, and I agree with this. Uh, the novel uh, he seems to be running out of ideas as it goes along. Yeah. Well, I, I, the next part is about him trying to find the King of Siam's uh, stolen white elephant. Yeah, he travels around Asia, and he keeps getting keeps getting imprisoned by various places. And they even right. say, "Oh, he's imprisoned again." Yes. Um. Yeah. Like that's where it really starts to become. He goes and meets some people. They throw him in prison.
0: He gets sentenced to death, uh, and then he escapes, and then he goes to the next place, and then he gets caught and sentenced to death. Yeah. That's like over and over again. And
1: the last. Uh, so yeah, I think we can skip over most of the Asian stuff. But, but I do, I do actually like that there's a through line for
0: the Asian thing, which is just he's trying to rescue this elephant. Yeah. Uh that's actually kind of good that there's a plot <laughs> to that point, yeah. which was sometimes missing from the earlier segments. Yeah. I but guess. that elephant boy boy, does that elephant get around? Because it goes from like Korea to Russia in yep. like a pair a couple paragraphs I, I- at one point. <laughs> I, I
1: forget this part. Uh, does the uh, elephant's nose break off? I, the, yeah.
0: they f- the elephant almost freezes to death in Russia. As they're trying to revive it, its nose sh- breaks off. Its trunk, or yeah. part, part of its trunk, uh, shatters and breaks off. But then they're able to revive it and save it. And apparently it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. At
1: one point, they try to paint a regular elephant white, <laughs> and yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, to get away with it, yeah. so Well, I I did like the one of all the many sort of executions and everything. I did like the fact that um, it's in uh, in Siam. I think uh, they go in and uh, they go into the king's harem. Which you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Obviously, that's because uh, they're trying to find both.
1: the king. So they, Because right. the uh, the chief of police or whatever is trying is the one who actually stole the elephant. Right. He's trying to stop them from finding it. Right. So they- uh, he he. Uh, is barring them from seeing the king, so they try to sneak in. And right. They...
0: Oh, and they end up in the harem. Yeah.
1: And then the the thing is, is
0: like by going to the harem, they're sentenced to death, I think, 36 times for yeah. every time. every. But then the idea is no one can go in to arrest them or else they'll have yeah. to be executed as well, which is so kind of funny. So
1: there's a... Mexican standoff sort of thing. Yeah, which is yeah. So that, Siamese standoff. I don't yeah,
0: know. yeah, that was that was kind of entertaining. Uh, but yeah, then they kind of repeat it over and over. And same thing happens in China, more or less. Yeah, and the same thing happens in Japan, more or less. Yeah, uh,
1: at one point he disguises himself as a Japanese man and said he had. Uh, I can't remember. He was trying to look like well, a foreigner. Or... Yeah, he was. He gets mistaken. The uh, there's
0: a there's a Japanese lord, a daimyo, who's got to. Uh, he's 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 had bad luck with those business dealings, and the oracles tell him that if his wife betrays him or if his wife uh, deceives him, uh, that once that happens, all his luck will turn around. Uh, but he doesn't have a wife, so he arranges to get married, and then so he'll have a wife to deceive him. So the things, and as they're planning to get married, uh, the uh, you know Saturn and his gang show up uh, in samurai armor, covering their faces, and they mistake. Him for the daimyo, so he ends up marrying the woman <laughs> <laughs> instead, and the guy's furious. And then they kind of go, "Wait a minute, is this deception?" But it's like, no, because th- you weren't technically married yet, so it doesn't count, basically. So, but then he realizes, well, "Wait a minute, I could get married to her, and then she'll want to go off with him, and that'll be a deception <laughs> anyway." So, yeah, that was kind of funny. I oh admit. yeah,
1: I'm I'm not saying there wasn't amusing things in it, but I thought that section was a little less entertaining overall. Yeah, it Just was in terms of the out uh, it was a little repetitive. Then the last one is a little bit dull. Uh it has mm-hmm. some it has some funny parts, but yeah. um he he uh, wants to travel to the North Pole mm-hmm. and uh he goes there by airship but the governor of the North Pole sends him a letter threatening him. Mm-hmm. And it turns out uh that this is Captain Hatteras from from the uh Jules Verne novel who traveled to the North Pole and Okay, um, and uh, yeah, that, I hadn't heard of that one. That yeah, that apparently one. ends with uh, him just being missing. So this is sort of continuing on from that, but it also adds a complication that he uh, had a wife who wanted a divorce and was going after him for the divorce. Right. And this was entirely invented for this yeah, version. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh So yeah, so they they arrive at the North Pole and they fight with Hatteras and whatnot and they escape, but their ship is sinking. But then there's a giant shoal of herring, just ju- massive, like, <laughs> and they just sort of are able to stand on it. Yeah. And they they set up, like, a newspaper at one point traveling <laughs> home. <and> yeah. yeah <laughs> the red all, herring. They all
0: travel. And that's the thing. It goes on. That bit goes on for way too long. Yeah. Uh, but it is funny that, like, they're rescued in the Arctic Ocean by uh, standing on a shoal of herring so big it basically becomes an island or yeah. a ship that travels them. Uh, south and they can eat it while surviving, and then yeah, they set up.
1: They start depleting it after a while. Yeah, exactly. And, and other
0: animals start depleting it. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but it just it goes on for too long. And the other thing is, this is supposed to be the Europe section, and they're in the North Pole for most of it. So yeah, to me, I that... think
1: I think Europe would have been boring because the readers would have been Europeans. So. I guess so. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I guess it's supposed to be adventures in crazy foreign lands. And yeah, you can't have that. I feel like they could have done something in Europe, but anyway, that's. It, it does feel like he was just doing the obligatory okay i gotta europe i said i was gonna do all the continents so i gotta yeah. europe it kind of feels that way so we'll go
1: to the north pole but um, and then uh it it ends with him uh the final girl is olga something yeah she comes out of nowhere yeah because uh, he keeps meeting love interests and they keep sort of separating the first one right. dies yeah but after that uh they they sort of yeah keep you know, marrying yeah. somebody else or whatever. It's, that, that brings up. I, do you mind if we go to the movie? Oh, because- I just want to finish. Yeah, um, okay. So it ends with um, uh, a bit about nihilists, yeah, instead of anarchists, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this shows up in the 20th century as well. Uh, nihilists had uh, uh, attacked Russia in the 20th century sometime. And uh, actually set off a series of bombs that sinks the whole landmass into the into the oh, ocean. Okay. So Russia's gone and by right again. You've got
0: you've got the politic political things because yeah, you're right. It's obviously meant to be a stand-in for like anarchists, but ridiculous because they're yeah. not. This is the Big Lebowski, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, that's a good topic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Say what you will about the tenets of national <laughs> socialism, movie. but at least it's an ethos. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but that guy, yeah, that's pr- that's probably what he was doing. He just he didn't want to bring in an actual political group. Yeah. So there's kind of like I say, there's both at the beginning and the end. It kind of feels like he's dancing around real politics that were maybe too heavy for a goofy adventure story or yeah. something. Um, but yeah, it's true. Like uh, he he literally gets to almost the last chapter. and He's like, wait, Saturn and Ferndale doesn't have a real love interest. So he suddenly meets a girl in Russia who's a nihilist who sets him free because they think they're nihilists. They get arrested for being nihilists. Then she's like, "No, I'm a nihilist. I'll set you free." She's like, "Okay," but then he's like, "Oh, I like this girl," and he marries her, and they yeah, go, and
1: yeah. they go back to his island, yeah, and live happily ever after, right? And, and um, uh, Brian Stableford once again, the translator. Um, has a theory that the whole thing's about Saturn, and, um, he originally, you know, he doesn't fit into monkey society, so he goes out to humans, but he fits in, He's he sort of adapts too well to human society and becomes sort of a parody, uh-huh. like a grander scale version of everything wrong with humanity. Right. And then eventually starts mellowing out as the story goes on. Right. And uh, by the end, he just... He's had enough of it, and he wants to return home. Right, exactly. To uh, a
0: a simpler sort of... He appreciates what he had, because he started out restless and wanting to go home, and now he's like... Yeah, and they don't hit that... uh, Robita doesn't hit that too hard as like a heavy note, but that is kind of the thing you come away with. It's like, I'm sick of humans, I'm going to go back and live with the monkeys. Yeah. Which is, again, like Tarzan, basically. Yeah. Uh, Again, as you say, he probably wasn't an influence on Tarzan, but it's funny how that echoes uh, the basic uh, story of Tarzan. So... Um, but uh, as you say, there was a movie in yes, 1913. Yes,
1: uh, and I came across this in a weird way because it's not on the I mean, there's no Wikipedia page for this book. But there is one for uh, for Rabita, but it's not on there. I actually uh, came across it entirely by coincidence. I had seen a silent movie called Philibus, which was really fun. We might talk about that in the future okay. if we go into movies at some point. Yeah. But it's uh, it's about a sky pirate who's a female who disguises herself as a man, and she has a female love interest at one point. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting gender-wise. But anyway, okay. so I was looking for other Italian silent movies, and one of them was... That I saw on Wikipedia was uh, the Adventures of Saturnino Mm (laughs) Ferrandola, and I was what? Yeah, (laughs) because this book that I was always that I'm always talking about is uh, as a movie adaptation, Mm -hmm. and it's on YouTube, right? And you can find translations of the of the uh, of the text segments. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we watched it. Uh, What did you think of it first of all?
0: Well, it's funny. It's actually in as much as what they had to work with in 1913 it's a it's it's a well done adaptation they know what to cut sort i mean there are there are issues but I think they make some story changes that improve it a lot. Yeah,
1: his first love interest survives. Yeah, she's with I him throughout the entire movie, uh, and that yeah. works
0: so much better, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, with her being throughout, and then they end up together on the island. And because she gets to do, like she gets to play the role of some of the other females who like the the woman who rescues her from, him from jail in Siam Yeah, uh, is there. They cut out the whole North Pole segment. They obviously identified that as the most boring part, unfortunately. Yeah. And possibly the budget might not have allowed for it either, but. Well, they did the airship battle. Yeah, they did do some other stuff yeah which looked cool yeah Uh, that
1: was really impressive
0: yeah it's got those great sort of old school effects but yeah very
1: melier Georges melier yeah uh, not not quite up to that level necessarily but you know clearly it's yeah Yeah. melier
0: was clearly an inspiration for all that stuff yeah and what was the other uh, decision that they made
1: that i thought was good Um, uh well it's out of order yeah they don't they don't do it in the same order as yeah and so it ends with the big airship battle thing so that that's sort of interesting right Um, yeah one problem I had with it, Phileas Fogg comes out of nowhere in the movie. Yeah, Phileas Fogg mentioned yeah. it just the first time he appears is actually a title card saying the betrayal of Phileas Fogg. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we watched a cut down version. That's
0: right. Well, a lot of the silent movies I think got cut down or missing reels or stuff, and that yeah, might so be,
1: I um, don't know, but it yeah. it has most of the stuff in it. Right. it. It even has a set for the Beaver Beaver Town. So right, right. Um. Yeah, they it, just go... it it hits on a lot of the story.
0: Yeah, it and it's as as I was saying online, it's like it's weirdly faithful to the story yep. in many ways. They, uh, you know, you're expecting all kinds of crazy. Like if you look at some of the really early versions of the Wizard of Oz before the famous one uh, that were silent, but like the degree to which they changed the story sometimes yeah. would be well. I, re- like I watched um, or...
1: the. Um uh a leader the queen of mars mm-hmm. the silent movie right uh that's based on a book mm-hmm. uh which we'll probably be discussing in a future episode but uh, uh the book is actually set on like they actually go to mars right in the movie that's a dream mm.
0: well it's, yeah that that was a thing with silent movies that yeah. you 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 they didn't like it was well, often especially with on. the russian yeah yeah Russians, but uh, but even in gen- even in uh, in like the 30s, uh, there was there was a period in North America where uh, it wasn't that you couldn't portray it; it's just that people kind of frowned yeah. on the well, fantastical. This,
1: yeah, this also doesn't have the Saturn sequence, but that would have been impossible. To, well, not <laughs> well, I impossible. Don't know. I but, mean, George Bailey went to the moon. Fair enough, stuff, but it, but it would have been harder, right? But anyway, so but yes, it's, it is actually
0: a surprisingly uh, interesting little silent movie. Uh, there, not that I don't like silent movies, but that's uh, like I say, you 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 can see the tr- to read the book and then watch it. That's one of the early examples. Yeah, of Yeah, my the Hollywood. dad didn't
1: understand what was. He didn't read the book and he didn't. You right. uh, watched the movie with me. He did not understand <laughs> what was going on because it moves too quickly. Yeah,
0: they cut. They definitely jump. They're, they're kind of doing the highlights version. of, yeah. the, of the book and and it ways.
1: starts off. By the famous book by Albert Robita. So, right. I mean, I know he was well known, better known in his time, but I, I think that's going too far for any, <laughs> but... In Italy, maybe he was, yeah. here, I
0: don't know. But because it, it is an Italian movie, as you say. But yeah, it, yeah it, it's, uh, it. you can definitely, it's interesting to look at the choices they made and you're like, oh, they made some good choices adapting yep. that. That was kind of cool. But as yeah, say, I was it, uh, cool. at
1: one point planning on adapting this book as a comic mm-hmm. before I realized that it's already so filled with illustrations. It's, pre- you know. Yeah, right. That would be kind of pointless. But I was thinking of changes and uh, I think the Leaving My Alive would have been, an, I think, what I would have ended right. up doing possibly. So right. yeah, that, that that was a good choice, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just the image because less mean spirited, I guess. Yeah. they know they get the that the image of um you know Mysore with in a diving bell, <laughs> being held hostage in an aquarium is a good image. There's lots of there's lots of great images in yeah. the story which the uh, the movie makes good use of. I think. Yeah. Uh, the Beaverton and the Siam, Siamese element elephant
1: elephant element elephant. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so yeah. Um... I also read uh, Rabita's last story. Mm-hmm. This is his first. And I read his last story just this week. Mm-hmm. It's a short, um, um, it's actually set in the far future, uh-huh. like genuinely, like the 30th century. Um, and, uh, it was interesting in a few ways. I, I just thought I'd talk about it because we probably won't be discussing Rebita again. So, <laughs> I don't know. I like his work, no, but I know. it's, yeah, it's not that influential. <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead. Um, so, um, uh, What I, the part I thought was especially interesting was the section set in New York, which really, I mean, it was, it was the 20s by that point, I think. So, um, Rabita was 80 at that time, but, uh, it it felt like something out of Fifth Element. I mean, like, uh, New York is, you know, giant skyscrapers and flying cars and Mm -hmm. all this stuff, and it's, like, so noisy, you can't hear yourself think. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I thought that was interesting, And, um, there's a through line between his, uh, 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 1950s book where there's, um, the, or the, um, student of the 1950s, which was, um, which I mentioned earlier, where the main characters, uh, invents a machine to do homework Mm -hmm. for the students, but the teacher finds out and he asks him to invent a machine to correct homework, and he (laughs) never gets around to doing the machine to correct homework, and the, apparently they haven't invented that by the 30th century either. So that's a sort of running gag between books. So his books seem to take place in the same universe, I <laughs> okay. guess. Okay, that's funny. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, interesting author. Um, <laughs> uh, most of his books are have been translated by this point. Yeah. So I, I've read, uh, I think, four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're all really fun they're yeah. very satirical yeah. um you know obviously dated elements but uh yeah. yeah um it is
0: it is interesting that it's um as you you said at the beginning that it felt like a steampunk it all, in some ways pastiche, it felt like a modern yeah. steampunk pastiche it's true it's got that kind of uh, retro, and it's interesting. That's always from French, like French comics and stuff. They always they like that steam whimsical steampunk yeah. uh, kind of idea where it's all kind of ridiculous. And that was you see that in the nineteenth century, but all, all all the way up to the present where it's kind of uh, you know something like Barbarella is almost like paying homage to that in mm-hmm. outer space kind of thing. And it it's it's. Yeah, it's the French whimsy, I guess you'd say. Yeah, uh, in and this is stories. definitely whimsical. Mm-hmm. And
1: the illustrations are great. I really like them. Yeah. Uh, did you get a version with illustrations? I did, yeah. yeah. There was illustrations in my book. Uh, because he, Robita was just really good at sort of coming up with funny designs for machines, and mm-hmm. it, especially in the 20th century books where he's mm-hmm. got all this weird architecture. And, like, it's, it's basically Victorian architecture but on stilts. Like, there's um, right. the... Uh, Apparently, in the by the nineteen fifties, they get rid of the rule that nothing in France can be, or nothing around the Arc de Triomphe can be taller than it. Mm-hmm. So they actually build an international hotel on top of the Arc de Triomphe. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's full of all sorts of stuff like that. Oh, I didn't mention uh, the twentieth century books have uh, the most interesting thing probably about them that's mentioned. It has a Wikipedia article on it. Uh, the telephonoscope, which is Rabita. Predicting the television, okay. it's basically a wall-mounted flat-screen television mm-hmm. that you can watch plays live as they <laughs> as they're shown from the theaters. Yeah. Um. So, uh, not quite what TV was, but yeah. you know, sort of interesting no. that. Uh, and uh, it was a two-way sound, so you so the people they could hear in the you change. the audience clap, mm-hmm. which I don't think Rubita thought about how you know that could be abused you know, especially now we think about the internet, you know, anonymous comments and... (laughs) He didn't predict uh,
0: the rise of internet trolling in
1: 1868. Um, Well, 1882, but... Whatever. um, (laughs) But uh, the telephonoscope uh, is a really interesting idea for 1882. Yeah. And... um, I read another book that's set on Mars that has uh, a similar thing where plays are broadcast into homes by a system of mirrors. So, obviously, the Victorians were thinking about television. They just yeah. didn't know how, you know... Well, well what... I mean,
0: literally, uh, ancient, uh, like, ancient, um, Victorian era, uh, magic tricks were performed with mirrors, as, mm-hmm. as the famous saying goes. Uh, so, that was probably, like, they they found a way to do kind of a very primitive hologram with mirrors, uh, as I recall. There were some famous uh, magic tricks where they could make, quote, ghosts and spirits yeah. appear. Uh, and it was used, like, fog and mirrors, smoke and mirrors, as yeah. they say. Um, and so, that... May have been what they were thinking of Mm -hmm. when they did that kind of thing.
1: Uh, Robita never explains how the telephonoscope works precisely, but it's basically a flat-screen television. Right. Well, Uh, I
0: think, if I'm not mistaken, they had um, uh, the telegraph by that point. Yep. So they were kind of thinking along those lines. Yeah. People felt like, you know, it'd be great if we could have wireless uh, communication, basically. Yeah. Uh, it may have just been. It'd be great if we could make this, and then yeah, obviously. It's but useful. it's just
1: interesting that yeah. Victorians were thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of forward thinking in those books, uh, also with social issues, mm-hmm. and also a lot of backwards, you know, like stuff right. that didn't come true or stuff that he uh, was overly hopeful about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like uh, like this author, and uh, I think. I hope this adds to uh, people thinking about him more.
0: Check it out. The Adventures of Saturn and folks, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, I think we're so, wrapping it up, right, Yeah. Phil?
1: <clears throat> uh, so, uh, once again, I've been uh, Philip Rice, and with me was Adam Prosser. Um, uh, we, have, we both have uh, Patreons, uh, so, uh, you know, one or hopefully both yes. if you sign up uh, you get uh, to uh, uh, listen to the show a week early plus other stuff we both have comics that we release early you release them early on the mm-hmm. patreon right yep. okay um, follow us on twitter at prankster36 that's adam and i am spear havoc or spear have i don't even know how to pronounce it it's a real word but uh S-P-E-A-R-H-A-O- H-A-F-O-C underscore So, yeah Maybe I should have rethought that back when But it was, it was like 10 years ago Anyway um, So, uh, follow us there uh, And um, Our Oh, and on Instagram And uh, uh, we, we, we would appreciate fan art If that's a thing you, you'd be interested in uh, we'd, We can repost them On uh, Instagram or Facebook we also have a Facebook page, so uh, it's universe what Mad on Instagram. Yeah, uh, so uh, we're all over the place. So yeah. like us all over the place. Mm-hmm. We would appreciate it. Uh, so so to everyone on all seven continents, the lost island at the North Pole, and all you crazy kids on Saturn, we'll see you all in the world to come.